And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. I want to go back to don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. How many of you, that makes you feel real comfortable and confident in yourself? Many times in ministry, as leaders, we come to the church. And I mean, I have pride. We have all know about that. We've discussed that before. So Rachel has pride issues, but I see this and I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to think I'm better than I am. So we're real hesitant. Maybe God calls you to do something. You're like, yeah, but I'm not as good as this other person. So I'm just going to bow out. They don't really need me because they've got other people that do it better. And I'm just going to bow out. But it also says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Well, sometimes my honest evaluation is pretty bleak <laughs> in certain areas. And so I, this sermon is not about pride. This is about our tendency to think less of ourselves. We tend to look at this and pull back and say, oh, I'm really not the person to be used here. I really don't need to do this because I'm not as good as other people. And we're insecure. But God says in his word, he's given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Different gifts. That means you're not supposed to be like the person that you think can do it better than you. You're supposed to do the things God's given you the way you would do them. Because you're part of the body and you're needed. Heaven help us if my kidney starts acting like my eyeball. Or my toe decides it was on my face. <laughs> I won't tell you what my kid said about my feet the other day. Anyway, I retorted with, I used my $20 for something else instead of a pedicure. Just don't look at your mother's toes. So we don't want that on my face. So if you're the toe and you're supposed to bring balance to the church, don't think, well, that person's nose could do it better than me. That's what Paul's saying. Do what your giftings are. So in the Old Testament, Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons. But really, he had one son first. So we sing the little song, but Abraham had one son, and he was unmarried. And so Abraham sent his 
servant to find a wife out of his relatives, his pool of relatives for his son. And Genesis 24 says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, the servant speaks. He prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. The servant's gone to find a wife. He's in this territory. He doesn't know anyone. He says, see, I'm standing here beside this spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, I have a drink and I will water your camels too. Camels, not a camel. I'm not watering your dog. This takes a while. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before he finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over her to her, the servant says, Please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered the jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for his camels. This was a life-changing decision Rebecca made, completely unaware, and when she offered to serve somebody. She said, oh, yeah, sure, I'll get you some water. She did it naturally. She did it quickly. I would guess some of the giftings God had given her were to be a servant. She didn't go like, I'll go get you some water. (laughs) Because, you know, we're supposed to take care of the traveler. No, she quickly went, God gave them the water, watered the camels. She was a natural servant. It comes out clearly. A not natural servant would have done the either no or, well, if I have to. I'll do it. But she was a natural servant. So her gifting was to, one of hers was to naturally serve. You may not think it's a big deal that your giftings, her gifting led her, was, led her into the rest of her life. She married Isaac. She's in the lineage of, of Jesus. I mean, it's a big deal. That little bit of giving somebody water was huge. But you may be like, well, I don't have much to give. But you have a gifting. You have something you can do. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. Now, the fact that Saul just says, All right, here is a problem. He didn't say, Bring the elders, pray for me. Let's repent again. Let's try again. He's like, okay, let's do the music. Find someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's son from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He's also a a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, Please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. 
David, when you think of David, what do you think? David was a king. He was a sheep herder. But he was a king. We think of him as the king. But before he was ever a king, he played the harp. He herded sheep. They say he was a brave warrior. He has good judgment. What if that's your gifting? You can make good decisions. You know, that might not seem like a big deal until you have a big decision to make. And then somebody's looking for wise counsel. And you have the gift of good judgment. He's also a fine-looking man. That could be a gift or a curse. <laughs> I guess it depends on the day for David. But he played the harp. That's something he had to practice at. He had to train at. But he had giftings, and those giftings brought him into the king's palace. He could have said, I'm going to play really bad for King Saul because there's somebody better than me. But he did his best, and he played, and Saul was pleased with him. We see David later when he arrives on the battlefield to bring food to his brothers. And David asked the soldiers standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending this defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? In 1 Samuel 17.31, we skip down. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I like that rendering. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David is mad. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. David was willing to go. That's a gift. Maybe you have a willing heart. He was willing to go. David was spunky. He wasn't just willing to go. He was ready to fight. Now, I don't know how you kill lions, but I haven't imagined grabbing one by their chin and beating it to death. For some reason, I always thought he got it with that little slingshot of his. But that's, he said he clubbed it to death. And he's a, he, it doesn't say he was a strong dude. So it probably took a lot of clubbing. <laughs> I mean, he's not a big old giant that can just club this. Like he's got a, I can see him there beating that lion. That lion jerking all around. He's beating this lion. I mean, he's ferocious. So he has a gift of um, enthusiasm, aggression, maybe willingness to go fight the enemy. But David, before he was ever king, he was comfortable in his giftings. He said, I can do this. I've done it before. Now, we see, I was reading later in Scripture when Saul offered David his, first, his oldest daughter. David said, I can't do that. Who am I? I can't be married into the royal family. So we see that David isn't, isn't real prideful and thinking he can do things he can't, but he's confident in his giftings. God's designed me. I can do this. God has helped me do this. I can fight this Philistine. I've killed a lion and a bear. He didn't club the giant to death. 
I just had this mental image of him scrambling up this giant and clubbing him in the face. No, he was smart. He had that gift of good judgment. He has good judgment. He knocked him down from a distance and then went at him. So if you're going to be super enthusiastic, ask God for wisdom. Combine those gifts. But we see that there are different people that had giftings that helped them. And they didn't start out with giftings where you go, oh, that person's going to be a king. Or that person's going to be the mother of nations. They just worked in the giftings God had given them. I was inspired by our pastor reading from the message this morning. So I, I picked this little, I actually didn't pick it. I was picking a different verse and I was reading this and I was like, oh. My first was, thought was, that sounds exactly like Pastor Stephen. Like he would talk like that. So then I read the rest of it and it's like, oh, this, this works really well. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the message. What I want to talk about now is the various ways God's spirit gets worked into our lives. This is complex and often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. Remember how you were when you didn't know God? Led from one phony God to another, never knowing what you were doing, just doing it because everybody else did it? It's different in this life. God wants us to use our intelligence to seek to understand as well as we can. For instance, by using your heads, you know perfectly well that the Spirit of God would never prompt anyone to say, Jesus, be damned. Nor would anyone be inclined to say, naturally, Jesus is master without the insight of the Holy Spirit. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's Spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. I love that. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. It doesn't matter if somebody else does it better than you because it's not about what you look like. It's supposed to show who God is. And everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits, the entire body. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. So there's nobody sitting here tonight in the body of Christ that doesn't have something they're supposed to be doing. It doesn't matter where you're from, but what kind of person you are. You have a gift to show who God is. So I have a story to tell, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not get weepy. Sister Barbara was a disciple of Jesus Christ. She lived in Louisiana and taught the preschool Sunday school class. From a monetary perspective, she was extremely poor. Her husband had been a sniper in the military and later in life was disabled. He came to the Lord later in life. He hunted, trapped, and fished to help support their family. He loved the outdoors and would hunt something all year. He traded his game, squirrels in particular, for ammunition and food. So he would trade squirrels, he would get ammunition, he would hunt, and he provided for his family this way. And this is not 100 years ago. This man just passed away two weeks ago. But they, they were very, very poor. Sister Barbara became legendary. 
With as limited as their income was, she somehow found a way every Sunday to come to church with a roll of quarters. Y'all know how I feel about quarters. <laughs> so to me, I'm like, ooh. The minute they said she had quarters, they had my attention. All the kids in her class knew that if they could say their memory verse, she would put a quarter in their little hand. Now, she taught the, it's not preschool class, two, three, four-year-olds. So that's a little bit of a big deal for them sometimes to say a memory verse. She became disabled, and she was in a wheelchair. Her husband would pick her up and put her in the truck every Sunday morning. They would drive to church. He would pick her up out of the truck and lift her into her wheelchair, and she would roll into her Sunday school class and teach Sunday school from her wheelchair. She did this for years. She was teaching the kids she taught. She taught their children. She did this for years. She taught the kids something about who God is by her kindness, consistency, and generosity. Everyone in that church, which happens to be the church my parents attend, they'll tell you about Sister Barbara and her quarters and that she never failed to have her quarters. She might be eating squirrel, but she had quarters to show those kids how important it was that they learned the Bible. Now, I have a picture, picture number one. This is Madeline. She's the youngest daughter of the pastor and his wife of the church Sister Barbara attended. Uh, I believe she was in the very last class that was taught by Sister Barbara. Sister Barbara was in a wheelchair at the time. When she passed away, Madeline was probably... We can't, we can't figure out if she was five, six, or seven. She was in that range. Madeline was very feisty, and she slipped away from her mother, and she went and dug in her mother's purse and collected quarters. And her mother was speaking with someone when she turned around, and you can go to the next picture. She saw this, her daughter's um, posterior shining, and her little hiney, was over the casket. And it's open casket, Sister Barbara's laid out in, and all you can see are two little legs dangling, full body in the casket, little booty straight up in the air. And of course, this is the pastor's child, of course. And she runs and makes a mad dash for the casket because her daughter's hanging over, over the body. And when she gets there and she gets her, she's like, what are you doing? And she had placed quarters in Sister Barbara's hands. I know, right? <laughs> Desi was at home. He's like, are you crying? I was like, I am. It's terrible. So she said, I want Sister Barbara to have quarters to take to heaven. Because to her, Sister Barbara always did ministry with quarters. Now, Sister Barbara might not have felt like she was a missionary. A missionary or changing the world, but she impacted many children and to this day is remembered and loved for her ministry. She made an impact by doing what she could do as Sister Barbara and being who God made her to be. She never said, I don't have enough money to minister to these children. She never said, I'm not well enough to teach Sunday school. She knew that's what she was supposed to do, and God had gifted her, and she did it to the best of her ability. If you'll go to picture number, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to blow my nose.
If I ever speak and don't leak out my nose, y'all guess I'm not feeling it. Okay, this is Madeline in the middle, all grown up with her mother, the pastor's wife, after they had driven six hours one way to be with um, a church member who had to go back to a specific hospital to have her baby uh, under special circumstances. Madeline has grown into a beautiful lady. The little girl with her booty poking up out of the casket had giftings at that age. They were clear early on. She's a fierce protector of the defenseless, always watching to see where help is needed and jumping right in, making sure the need is met. She'll cry with those who cry, laugh and celebrate over the victories of others, help someone reach their goals, encourage the weary, and occasionally tell someone the blunt truth in love. She still will do what needs doing no matter what others may think, even if it means climbing in that casket to put quarters into a hand that didn't need to go to heaven empty. Just like these examples from Scripture, Sister Barbara or Madeline, you have giftings. Everyone here has something you can do in the kingdom. You are called. You're important to the body, and Satan would love to whisper in your ear that you have nothing to offer. Your ministry doesn't matter. You don't have much in this world. You don't have very many earthly things. Nobody cares about you. You're not up in the pulpit. You have nothing to do or give that will matter to anyone. And that's a lie. You are the impact. You yourself are the impact. You are the gift to the body of Christ. You matter. You may look at Pastor Stephen or my husband and be like, oh, oh, Brother Russ, Brother Moss, they're so smart. And you may be like, I, I, I can't do what they do. You may look at somebody, you may be up there, oh, look, Rachel, she might not make much sense, but everybody's laughing. You know, I can't do that. I had a lady on the website, a friend of mine posted me, and she said, look at you up there in those boots. And it was meant as kind of a joking comment, but I was like, I have a narrow foot. I can't fit in shoes. They don't make shoes for people like me. So I'm going to do something a little unorthodox. Because it's not what people look like that makes them gifted. Now David, he was good looking, but we know how that, got, that worked out for him. So... And I might have boots on, but underneath it, I have on panda socks. <laughs> and that had nothing to do with this sermon. I put these on this morning. These are my favorite socks. I don't match. And you may think, I can't look like that person looking up there, but you don't know what's under their boots. <laughs> you don't have to look like them to do ministry. Your hair doesn't have to be just right. You have to be you. And I wouldn't be me if I wasn't in panda socks. <laughs> because that's me. If I could have worn that outfit Pastor Stephen had on this, man, oh, I may have to get one of those that's, you know, girly. Because that's awesome. All that color and goodness. So we have to be ourselves. You have to be you. You have giftings. God wants to use you. 
If everybody was up here preaching, we wouldn't get anywhere. We have to have you, everybody that does something here, even the children in this church, they have ministries. You see them from early on, you think, oh, look at their giftings. I, I don't know if he's here. Jalen and his siblings came up to me after I preached that sermon on money, and they had collected, borrowed, begged pennies off of everybody they could find because they knew I love coins and brought me a big jar of pennies. What a servant's heart. I thought to myself, mm, I see some ministry going on in their future. Of course, I was real happy about the pennies, but, <laughs> but they're still servants. So uh, we're going to ask all the children to come sit in a circle like you're at the library on the floor. Anybody from age, any age, if you like to go to the library, if you like to hear stories, do a little circle on the floor right up here. I am not going to read the story. My husband is going to come. He's going to indulge me. He's going to sit right here, so y'all just kind of make a, a half moon so you can see the pictures. Come on. He's indulging me, y'all. Um, you're fine. You can sit on the stairs. I'm going to come down here so he can have the microphone, and he is going to read a story. If you're an adult and you want to move forward to see the pictures, you're more than welcome. I couldn't find a large, large book. I do not have panda socks. All know that, dear. <laughs> I like earth tones. <laughs> I also can't believe she talked me into doing this. So, this is a book we read in our house. My daughter is very familiar with it. She has heard this I don't know how many times. This is one of her favorite books. It is a brilliant work of fiction that many adults in the room will probably recognize from their childhood. This is from Sesame Street, and it's the monster at the end of this book. Just out of curiosity, by a show of hands, any adults in here remember this book, either from your childhood or reading this to your... Oh, my word. Where have you been living? In the world? You've been missing out. So I'm going to read The Monster at the end of this book, starring lovable, furry, old Grover. The Monster at the end of this book. Hmm. This is a very dull page. What is on the next page? What? What did that say? On the very first page? What did that say? Did that say there will be a monster at the end of this book? It did? Oh, I am so scared of monsters. Shh, 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 shh. Listen, I have an idea. If you do not turn any page, we will never get to the end of this book. And that is good because there is a monster at the end of this book. So, please. Don't turn the page. You turn the page! Maybe, maybe you do not understand. You see, turning pages will bring us to the end of this book, and there is, there is a monster at the end of this book. But this, this will stop you from turning pages. See, I am tying the pages together, so that way you cannot... What do you think's gonna happen? 
You turned another page! You do not know what you are doing to me! Now stop turning pages! There. I, Grover, am nailing this page to the next one so that you will not be able to turn it and we will not get any closer to the monster at the end of this book. You see him? Yeah. He's trying to nail the pages shut, huh, buddy? Oh! All right! All right! All right! Do you know that every time you turn another page, you are not only getting us closer to the monster at the end of this book, but you are making a terrible mess! This, this will stop you from turning pages. A heavy, thick, solid, strong brick wall. I would just like to see you try to turn this page. Do you know that you are very strong? The next page is the end of this book, and there is a monster at the end of this book. Oh, I am so scared. Please do not turn the page. Please. 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 Well, look at that. It's the end of the book, and, and the only one here is me. I, lovable furry old Grover, and the monster at the end of this book. And you were so scared. The end. I told you and I told you there was absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Oh, I am so embarrassed. Thank you, my dear. Every one of us has fear at what is at the end. We're all afraid what's at the end of life, what's at the end of this season, what's at the end of my journey. What will my life have been worth? Did I matter? Was I good enough? What will God say? Fear is the monster at the end of our book. And that fear will paralyze you and I and rob us of who we are in Jesus and in his kingdom. But when you get to the end of your life, if you'll just be you and let God use you the way he made you with what you have, then there'll be no reason to be afraid. There won't be a monster at the end of your journey. It'll just be you. But if you've been you all along and you've done what God asked you to do as you, then there's no reason to worry. There's no fear. Because when you get to the end of your life, you'll realize you were exactly what was needed and you were the impact that God wanted you to be as long as you were obedient to him. So you don't need to be me. You don't have to wear panda socks. You can wear boring earth tones and still have a ministry. But God wants you to be you. And when you get to the end, you don't have to be afraid, afraid that there's a monster at the end of your life, a monster of you weren't good enough, you didn't minister you weren't a good leader. Just be you. And when you get there, that's what you'll present to God. And he'll say, good job, because I created you to be you. 
So if you'll stand together. We're just going to pray a simple prayer and say, God, help me to be the best me I can be. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be a church family and to be in the body of Christ. Lord, I ask that you would help every one of us to be the best me I can be, the best you you can be. Help us all to work in your kingdom and be the part of the body of Christ we were meant to be, not comparing ourselves amongst one another, not worrying if we're good enough, but just listening to your voice and pushing aside the voice of the enemy that would like to lie to us and give us fear and paralyze us so that we can't do the job you've created us to do. Lord, I ask that you would help us to put our faith in you and not the monster at the end. And know that you are leading and guiding us. And if we listen to your voice, all will be well. Because it's the same voice we'll hear when you say, my good and faithful servant. And we trust you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.